All right, welcome everybody to another episode of We All Speak in Poems. Uh, today we're very excited to be sitting down with Lucas James. He's the label manager and A&R of Seeking Blue Records, uh, the artist manager of groups such as Echoes and Yo Mas, and the mind behind the ambient project Aria. How's it going, man? It's been a while. Hey, yeah, it's been probably eight years. It's going amazing. This is yeah. awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's awesome. The vibe is already so good. I've been listening. I just, a new episode came out today, which isn't today for everyone else, but today for us. And I listened to it and it's, you know how to set the vibe, man. Always have. Oh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of tough. I'm not one to really speak much and be able to, you know, know how to speak. But uh, I guess with that being said, actually, yeah. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. Oh, yeah. This is when yeah. this is coming out. Yeah. Happy holidays. <laughs> it's snowing. The you know, whatever you may celebrate, it must be festive season at some, some degree or another, hopefully with family after a wild couple of years. So yeah, yeah. Cheers, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So we've been really excited for this one. Um, even though we've sort of lost touch over the years, what listeners may not know is that, you know, we've been, we've known each other for quite a while. Uh, You've actually introduced me to a lot of my favorite artists like Bon Iver, Mum, Sigaros, all like all the Icelandic post bands. Those are also um, my, still my favorite artists, totally. Yeah, <laughs> us too. Constantly listening to it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're also one of the first people to actually, you know, take my music kind of seriously. And uh, that always meant a lot. So I'm really excited to catch up and see what you've been up to. Dude. Yeah. I mean, you've done so much. Like I was just scouring the catalog and it feels like you've just never slowed down for years yeah, and that's... years, which is amazing. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know how you've managed that, but I'm curious to know. And maybe I'll start interviewing you because <laughs> that is uh, exceptional. So there was a reason to take it seriously back then. And I think everyone should still take it extremely seriously now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to jump in with any questions or whatever. It's super cool. But uh, yeah, I want to start way back uh, in your Aurea days. Um, how did that project sort of come to be? What were you doing around that time? Um, yeah. So I, in a non-obvious sort of career trajectory way, right out of high school, I studied film. Um, I've always been obsessed with photography and making films and videos and I still do to this day to some degree, I think more for our artists now, but, um, of course, I think along with pretty much every ambient artist would say they're interested in like film scoring and the music and cinema. Um, and I was no different. Um, so when I was studying film at VFS in Vancouver, um, I sort of just found this situation where I wanted to do music more. Like I just cared more about music. And unfortunately, because school costs so much money, I couldn't just go again. Um, so it sort of was like very independent. I just started doing it myself and in my final, like sort of practicum, uh, year end project, I directed a film and then also scored it. Um, and then I just, yeah, it, it honestly, I think a huge part of the music industry back then, which I'm sure you were also fond of was like, it was just community and it was so like independent. And there was this sort of like hearth to the fire of independent, especially in the ambient scene where you could just put music on SoundCloud and meet like-minded people. And I think that was so appealing to me because it came from like such a place of passion where it was just like, put this online make it because I'm passionate about it. And it was like an expression at that point in life. And then 
turned into community and friendships, I think, which kept it going ultimately. Absolutely. Yeah. So since you were making that music while you were in film school, would you say that a lot of it was inspired by like creating cinematic music? Cause that's kind of what a lot of the sound was. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely. Like I think anything, even, even to this day, like non music creation, I just think visually and think storyline like cinematically, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah, like making music back then, was very, how would this fit into a scene? What kind of scene would this fit into? Whether it was like from my life or not, uh, I think that doesn't really matter. Um, it's still genuine at the creation point. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. It was like always envisioning how something works in a visual medium, I think, ultimately. That's awesome. Yeah. And I know you mentioned that you uh, did directing as well. Do you still dabble in that or did you do anything else like that since? Um, interesting question. That's very relevant, um, to my life right now. <laughs> uh, I think honestly, it, it's been interesting because I, th honest content is such a vast word now that's used so much in the music industry, especially in like pop leaning spaces where it's like content development, content development. And I think a lot of that is so tied back to like filmmaking roots for me, where it's like, if an artist that I'm working with wants to make a music video, I'm able to just jump in and sort of direct that process, even though it's not like filmmaking. It's like, I was writing a shot list this morning, for example. Um, oh, wow. so it's been able to really be like an upkeep for me where it's like that skill I thought would be useless, yeah. but in fact has been extremely useful. I think both, and not even to get into a huge filmmaking tangent, but I think the huge, a major part of directing is understanding people and how to communicate with them, uh, especially about vulnerabilities and like their personal, something from their, their heart typically. And that skill is so valid in music still, like where it's like you're working with someone who's just created something likely from their heart, likely with thousands of hours poured into it. And finding out where that comes from and where it should go, I think is, is directing ultimately, instead of, instead of talking to a camera operator, you're just talking to <laughs> someone else, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, thinking about surprising. it that way. Yeah, um, so surprising. <laughs> uh, back then, uh, you know, in your Aurea days, um, were you mostly in the box or like, did you have specific instruments that you were playing at the time or? Yeah. So I've always played guitar, um, before I was producing, um, and piano a little bit, like not like MIDI piano. Um, I've never actually owned a piano, but, um, yeah, that's typically it. Uh, so like I would say 90% in the box and then guitar in, uh, in the recordings as well. However, um, I guess a little side story about the creation process was I'm assuming you, you had the same experience where like when you're starting out, you don't really have a lot of sounds or things. There was no splice back then or sample libraries besides like yeah. vengeance, essential club sounds, volume four. <laughs> like, <Exactly. laughs> and if you didn't want to make trance, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff. So, um, at film school, uh, we had like Foley libraries and a bunch of 
pre-recorded stuff that you would use for ADR and, and like sound design in film. So I just like copied the hard drive over for educational purposes and used a <laughs> lot of those sounds like city recordings. And I think students honestly just rented zooms out and just compiled all of these sounds all the time. And wow. I had like, it was like 60 gigabytes of Foley and stuff. So I used oh primarily God. that. So I guess like that's not in the box, but it was kind of in the box. I don't know. So yeah, that was definitely a huge part of the that project beginning for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember you were the person who kind of introduced me to that world of things too, like Foley and everything. I think you were the person who could sort of mentioned, you know, you can make a snare out of a fork hitting a counter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I remember when I got into that, that's all I did, you know, <laughs> when you listen to my old music, it's just all over the place, yeah, just random yeah. sounds. I think it's huge now too. Like you even see like on TikTok, um, like Charlie Puth is like, hmm, I should make a snare. And then it's like so crispy and cut and he like <laughs> uses like a bottle of something. And I'm like, yeah, that's the vibe. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Oh man, that's amazing. Um Wow. Yeah. So did you learn to produce sort of over YouTube and stuff like the rest of us? Or did you sort 100%. of use your Because <laughs> your stuff has always been so clean. Like even we were listening back to it and I'm like, how does it sound <laughs> so good? Yeah. Man, it's so funny because I honestly feel the exact opposite about it because oh no, <laughs> like I, at least listening to stuff that I work with for like my career now, it's so crystal clean and a lot of it's very electronic. And I'm like, the pop mix downs and stuff. So listening back to my stuff, it just sounds like staring into a puddle of mud, like, which, which I guess I was going for at the time, but that's interesting. You say that's hilarious. Thank you though. Man, I guess it's from outside ears because it just, I don't know. I almost, I want that sound. Like you have your track. Um, I hope you're not sleeping as tightly as you used to that mm -hmm. track. I've tried to recreate this track so many times. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't do it like the symbols you use. I don't know if they're uh, real symbols or if they're like VST sample based. Real. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> yeah, he goes on about this quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <It's hilarious. laughs> I wish I wish that track was mine. <laughs> I, I wish I had the project file because I would just literally send it to you and say, here you go, like take what what it what you can from it. But I think that song was made on like a laptop that was I don't remember I don't know if you remember back when we used to have like Skype calls and stuff, but yeah, my laptop was like had to sit on a fan because it couldn't oh. process heat anymore. So it was like yeah. on a fan always. So I'd have to like cover my open back headphones, to like hear the mix down properly. Cause it was just like <laughs> no. a fan sound. So yeah, that, that project's long gone, but I think honestly it's just simplicity. Like yeah. I don't, I try not to, I layer a lot, but I try not to like compete a lot with a certain sound. And that's, that's really it. Honestly, other than that luck, I suppose. <laughs> For sure. And yeah, you're going to hear me say this a lot, but like even, you know, using your own voice in tracks, you know, gave me, I don't know if you want to say courage or whatever, but, you know, it allowed me to venture off into that. Like in Opia, you used your voice and it's sort of, I'm assuming, very inspired by Sigaros because it's not really words. Mm -hmm. And that's made me, you know, do that in ambient tracks too. And it's just, it's really cool. Um, I remember when it's the It's Only Us EP came out. Um, and you were layering guitars and stuff. And I think I asked you about it and you were saying, I think it was, uh, the meantime, 
right? Is that yeah, that's the name of it. Sounds right. Um, I think. Yeah, it's, it's just like four guitars layered over each other with different patterns and stuff, and that was just so cool. Like the fact mm-hmm. that you're allowed to do that and kind of break rules, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the thing is, is there are no rules, so you can do literally exactly. whatever you want, and it just is about like serving the song, and I think it's, yeah. It, it goes back to the, you know, what we talked about earlier where it's like, what is the scene and where does this fit and what serves that the most? And I think it's like, you know, when we were learning editing and sound design in film school, there was a lot of stuff about subliminal messaging and sound design, which I've just like stuck onto for my whole life where it's like, if you have someone knocking on a door in a movie and just ever so faintly, you also have like a baby crying under each knock that can create like an emotional response in someone to like change the feeling of that door knock to be like a little bit more urgent or, or detrimental. Um, and this is used in every film, um, where you hear a car crash, but you actually are hearing like a dog's yelp in the glass crashing. And it's like, gives you this sense of something was hurt, even if you're not thinking about it consciously. So I think like, using that when producing music can really elevate your sound where it's like something that maybe isn't expected or even distinctly heard can give someone a response or something in their life. Like I think it, I think it goes into cooking and I'm getting ratatouille flashbacks where tying, tying to someone's nostalgia can create, you know, a moment for them and a scene for them where that song fits. And I think that's like, when i learned that in school i was like whoa like you can do that music like pretty mind blown so it's a useful technique i think honestly absolutely yeah you're making me have flashbacks to a score i did with uh elliot roush a director from california i think um it was in the scene it was more like sound effects but he wanted like the transition to get really intense and like just almost unsettling yeah and yeah so instead of just using noise and stuff we actually put in uh breaking glass and stuff um totally. and you know manipulating it completely but i actually forgot i forgot all about that when did you do that when was that uh a couple of years ago maybe three years ago now 2018 amazing um I can't remember the name of it now, but... Uh, How did you find the scoring process? Is that the only time you've done it or have you done like a few times? I've done it a few times. Um, it's tough for me. I, I have a hard time with people telling me what to do. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? <laughs> oh, I totally understand. <laughs> like, it's so frustrating when you get notes back and, and then notes on the notes and then eventually they end up just wanting what you had before is the pattern that I find. Oh yeah. But whenever it comes up, I do it, you know, it's just, it's I think it's, it's one of those, I, I think the film side too, cause I, I've done a few films now as well, where it's like, you just have to find someone that's able to know how to communicate with you and yeah. trust you as well. Yeah. I think a lot of, especially young directors are like, want the control, right? They want it to be their movie. And as they get more seasoned, you see this in Hollywood and stuff where they pick the same composer over and over because they just trust at that point. They say, this is, this is what the scene is supposed to feel like. You, you make that, you know, you're the musical person, you're the composer. So it is tough. And I think that when that control leaks over and then it shows 
it disproves you, devalues what you've made, and then ends yeah. up saying, never mind, you were right to begin with, and you're already now like three notches lower <laughs> emotionally. So yeah. I get exactly. it. That's super frustrating. Yeah. Do you enjoy, um, I already forget the word. Scoring? Scoring. Do you enjoy <laughs> scoring? Yeah. I, yeah. I actually like it more than making music aimlessly, personally. Um, I, and, and honestly, like even to this day, that's I think all I will be able to do in the future. I haven't made music for my own self like in years. Um, and I think it's because I love the direction and I love the collaboration and like the inspiration to influence the music. For me, it's like, I don't know, my life's good. I'm happy. I'm yeah. comfortable. I That doesn't make me want to make music. And I think a lot of my early music came from different emotional responses. So now, and I, and I've, it's taken a long time to accept that state because it's like music is huge, but, um, ultimately now it's like when a film is inspiring and I can see a picture or a script, that's like, Oh, this gives me, gives me a feeling. Then it almost works in reverse. Whereas I used to just envision a scene. Now I, the scene makes me envision the music and it's, yeah, it's cool. So I'm super down to do more. Um, it's been a few years since I've done my last one, but I, it was super rewarding. Also extremely frustrating, uh, yeah. and insanely time consuming, like work. I would work eight hours, get home, work eight more hours, go to bed for a little bit. And then it was just like, yeah, this crazy wow. cycle of, of work, but yeah, I do love it. I do. Do you find that since you don't really make music for yourself anymore, that when you do have a score to do that it's kind of hard to get in that headspace of like, how do I do this again? How do I navigate this? Or do you do it often enough to not really feel that? Definitely not often enough to feel that. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say, I don't know if I've ever felt like I was not rusty. Mm. Like I've, I've always felt a little bit uncomfortable making music. Um, and I, and I think anything that I've ever released personally has just been me forcing myself to say, this is done, put it out. Like, don't think about it. Don't overthink it as like sort of a, a test in a way. Um, so I don't know that that rusty feeling ever goes away. There's always a sense of like self-consciousness, um, and uncomfortability, which I think is good. I think the best ideas come out of that too. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so, so definitely not comfortable and it takes a long time, but a good director can help influence that, like it can kickstart it. And you get so inspired if the story or the script is, is solid. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's something just to shout out Elliot Rausch, the director, I've done quite a few films for him and he's, he's one of those people who are understanding and stuff, but, um, yeah. So with all that being said, then do you consider Aria an ongoing project or do you think at this point? It's kind of just scoring if you ever get the opportunity again or when you get hmm. the opportunity again. That's a, that's a great question. Um, you're like, you're, you're actually one of the only people that I've spoken to who were on like sort of both sides of my life, I guess. Um, because I've, I think I've abandoned the project. Um, and I think, I, I don't think I've ever even said this out loud really, but I believe to me, at least I've convinced myself of this truth that I made that project and I learned how to make music so that I could sort of learn the language and bring it into my career now where 
working at a record label and managing artists, being able to communicate musically at that level, at an artist level, at a, I understand you right now level, I think is extremely valuable and absolutely not in the music industry enough. Um, so for me, I'm like, okay, kind of laying the project to rest because I've learned the language that I now carry forward. And to me, that's sort of what the project is now. I think that, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever make music again, really, at least for like a commercial release style thing. Um, but I've like learned the language and we'll continue to communicate it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's such That's, an interesting way to view it, but yeah. it's also so sad. <laughs> yeah, your it really amazing. is. It really is. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's very kind. I, it, it's so interesting the parallels just to cinema and, and TV and movies to me, where it's like, I think you can tell when like a TV show or a film doesn't have its ending figured out, and then it just drags on and ends up being a little bit disappointing. And I wouldn't want my project to do that ever. And I think I'm comfortable with what's there. Um, And I, yeah, I don't want to drag it on just to drag it on. I think if I'm ever like, whoa, insanely inspired and write an album or something, then yeah. Um, But for me, it's like, I'm comfortable with it not being any more than it is, which is also like Brady for you. I'm just like, how, how have you stayed inspired for so many years? (laughs) Like you have so much music out. Honestly, I I listen to a lot of music when I can't write. And then uh, I essentially just say I, I want to make this. Like, you know, the Yonzi and Al- uh, Alex album, Rice Boy Sleeps. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to that constantly. I'm just like, I just want to recreate that. And I know <laughs> in recreating that, I'll come up with my own sound. And, you know, it just kind of it spirals like that. Totally. So essentially, all my albums and stuff are just start off copying another another band or another artist or something. I think I actually read something recently that states that's like one of the most efficient and human ways of producing anything is like understanding how to do it learning like like your mom teaching you how to make a cake like you're going to copy her like exactly when you begin and until you are comfortable enough to put your own spin on it yeah you know then you will eventually do that and i think it's like that situation is so true for music too where everyone wants to be original and i think there is a difference between literally copying <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and just putting being that inspired. out and then being yeah. inspired and saying okay I'm I'm far enough away from what I was inspired by to pay homage and to like respect that influence I think that it's always ironic like when you hear someone's influences if it's so obvious before they say it then it's just like okay you know maybe you're a little too close to home there whereas mm-hmm. If it's like, oh, that makes sense. Wow. You know, that's that's the sweet spot, you know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it, it helps too because you start off being, you know, inspired by Yonzi and Alex, let's say, and then, you know, you're also listening to the Stars of Lit at the same time and Hammock and Slow Meadow and all these people. It all just becomes a concoction with your own style as well. It just, yeah. just kind of works. If I don't think if, if I didn't do that, I would have been, you know, probably out of ideas a long time ago, but... <laughs> You know, what you were saying with with Aria, kind of you're letting it go, you know, instead of just milking it and just continuing it for no reason. Like that's something I've actually thought about a lot 
um, like sort of when is the end of Alaskan tapes? When is the start of something new? Cause like, you know, like bands like Dillinger escape plan, they did that. They did that when they were at their peak and they, you know, separated to do their own projects. And I think there's just something really cool about that. Mm-hmm. Really, really just inspiring almost too. Like, it's just cool. I don't know. Yeah. I, honestly, I think there's like a lot of conversation to be had about like the purpose of music mm-hmm. and, you know, an artist asking themselves, why am I putting this out? And if you can't really answer that question at a certain point, then it's like, maybe you should think critically about what you're doing. Like the music, there's, there's so much music in the world. It's, it's absolutely. And I believe you guys spoke about this on your first episode where there's just so much music to listen to. And I think artists having intention is just such a valuable add to the space as if, if everyone has is saying something because they believe it, that's a great thing for the economy of music and the world of music. Um, but if everyone's just saying something because they can and they don't, they're just taking up space in many ways. You know, I don't have a problem with that, but I also think that that creates saturation and absolutely and and sort of severs the the tie of like fandom in many ways, where I'm sure both of y'all like the music that you care about and have fallen in love with over the years was very intentionally made. Um, and I think it's, it's obvious, you know, list, a, a lot of people don't give listeners enough credit. They're very smart. They're you and I, they're everyone. Right. And they will see through something that is made disingenuously, um, eventually, you know? Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I like, I like hearing you speak like this cause now you're kind of in the music industry as a, I don't want to say business person, but you know, you, you think about markets and stuff <laughs> and all that, right. For your artists and stuff. Um, and I guess that's a perfect segue to get into this chapter of, uh, you know, your career and your life. Chapter two. Um, <laughs> chapter two, exactly. <laughs> so you're the label manager in A&R of Seeking Blue, which is run by Mr. Suicide Sheep. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, how did that even happen? <laughs> How, what was the start of that? Because as with us, like growing up, Mr. Suicide Sheep was the biggest. He was um, huge. I don't know if you want to call it gatekeeper, but gatekeeper almost. Yeah. You know, like the biggest YouTube channel. You everybody wanted to get on its channel because that just meant you kind of made it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a solidifying sort of time. That was yeah. It was interesting back then. Just thinking about it, then to now. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there's so many, this, I could talk forever about it, but honestly, it was like, I think a mix of luck, chance and passion. Um, it's so funny. Cause I think, I still think people have that perspective, but Sheepy's just like a music fan, like a, a really, really big music fan. Um, and eventually sharing music on YouTube, is now it's now ginormous. There's thousands of channels, right? Like so many, yeah. it's absolutely wild. But back then, it was just like sort of the only way you could stream music, SoundCloud and YouTube. And for him, when it exploded, he was like, "Well, I need help. Uh, <laughs> this is wild. Like I, I I need to do things legally and properly and." think about this as a business a little bit more than like he had been as like a teenager sharing music. Um, and so he started building a team. I was the first person hired, 
um, I actually applied for, oh, wow. yeah, I applied for a job at monster cat, which is a YouTube record label sort of in the same space. Um, and they, they knew sheepy and were like, Hey, you know, we don't actually need you at the moment, but do you know, Mr. Suicide sheep? Like he's really looking for someone to help him out. Um, and I was like, um, yeah, like, what do I have <laughs> to do? Um, yeah. And so that was actually seven years ago to this day I started. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got to Vancouver, I dropped everything, moved there. Um, and really just like from there, we started building the identity of like what we would eventually become, which is what we are today. Um, at that time, there was a lot of conversation with artists around terrible record deals and bad royalties and yeah. no control over their artwork or, or vision and even their music to some degree. And so we were in this interesting space where everyone did want to be on the channel. Um, so we got to meet a lot of amazing artists, but then the sentiment was this sentiment over and over again. So we said, Hey, let's build a label. I had like a little bit of experience. Um, I sort of knew, but also was just like extraordinarily passionate about learning and would just absorb and learn anything that I needed to. Um, and so seeking blue is something that he started before me, but hadn't really done anything with besides a few releases. So we said, Hey, let's do this for real. Let's do like artist favored deals, give them full creative control, like help where we can, but really make sure that they feel like it's their project when it comes out. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, that honestly has just stayed the same and, and kept growing for seven years. And now it's a team of, I think we have almost 10 people now. So, um, wow. yeah. So like, while you say like A&R and, and label manager and stuff, it's like, I kind of just do everything and anything that, everything that needs yeah. to be yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's just so flexible and, and still like so much art. I think is being made and that's like what I'm drawn to um, where it's like, you know, whether it's Elenium, like selling out tours in North America or a brand new artist who's never released anything from Edmonton, they're both artists and they both want their project to be what they envisioned it would be when they started making it. And so it's like, what can I do to make that happen? You know, that's like, that's my job really. Like that's how it happened. I've felt that way back then. I felt that way now and it, nothing's changed. It's just like, yeah, that's sort of the story there. Did you find it kind of intimidating? Like being the first one to be there to help him, especially since you said, so he started this. I mean, I haven't looked much into sheepies like personal history and stuff but he started this as a teenager yeah he started it it wow. is 11 years old so he was just like late teenager in uni oh my yeah goodness. yeah and it was like i can't stress enough that it was like not intentional like to be anything yeah. it was like very much it's called mr suicide sheep like that name <laughs> yeah. was like, like clearly just a passion project um and i think like yeah like when i got there i was intimidated for sure. And then eventually it was like, I understood his perspective and we became really close friends. And like, it was like just the two of us, like doing royalty payments on his living room table, like on a spreadsheet. <laughs> like it was like very, like 
I don't know. I, I can't describe it in a, in a very good way without you actually being there, but it was just like startup vibes to the ultimate, you know, exponent. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, yeah, I just understood that I, I could offer something and really help, uh, and be so passionate about this and dedicated. Um, so that like, whatever happens, we would just like grow together. Um, so yeah, I think the intimidation just like vanished slowly as I learned like what needed to be done and what I could contribute ultimately. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's really smart of him sort of getting you. I mean, I, obviously it wasn't planned that way, but you know, the fact that he got you to be the first, uh, sort of employee, like you were an artist who probably wanted to be on Miss Suicide Chief. You know exactly the mindset everybody else is mm-hmm. in. Um, and you were always so passionate about, you know, just driving artists and mm-hmm. stuff. I already know that. But it's interesting because, I yeah, like, like I said before, we both came at the music industry from a non-like business industry perspective. And I think that's extremely valuable for an artist mm-hmm. because... I think you have like the viewpoint of a fan of, of like a diehard music fan who cares about music has seen electronic music grow from so many different places. Um, and then myself, who's like an artist first, like creative first. And that, you know, it, I think when you, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but going into like a room as an artist and having business people like talk at you, and tell you what they mm-hmm. think is like extremely frustrating <laughs> and yeah. demeaning and painful. And it's like, yeah, like if I could bring one thing to the industry, it would be like removing that entirely. Um, and I think it's like, I, I remember hearing Skrillex's uh, booking agent talk on a panel years ago about Ausla, And he was like, when we were creating the label, I felt like I just wanted all the creative people to like sit in a room together and make stuff. And then the business people would be like in a back room, just like making sure it's paid for and the taxes are done. (laughs) And I was like, I love that perspective because that's sort of the opposite. When you hear like universal music group, you picture like suits in a room and it's definitely not to that extent for sure. Mm -hmm. I think there is a lot of music fans in a lot of buildings in every orifice of the earth working in music. But um, the communication of like artists understanding one to one level is, is very valuable. And I think like at least the artists that I work with appreciate that and, and utilize it, you know, as much as possible. So it was a cool coincidence. It definitely wasn't planned though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh man. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to the Spotify offices here in Toronto, um, it was just me and one other guy. And he was super cool. Like, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus or anything. But uh, I had genuine questions to ask, you know, about playlisting and about, you know, uh, how to get the best reach and all this stuff. And what he did was just show me a slideshow, mm. essentially, <laughs> for half an hour. And when it was done, he was like, all right, that's about it. And it was just me and him. And I was like, I have like 15 yeah. questions. <laughs> was the slideshow just like what they expected from you or what was on no, it? No, it was, it was, uh, it was essentially, um, what's on their website for, oh, okay. you know, uh, best practices. how artists can reach the most best practices. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like understand that perspective from like, uh, this doesn't scale. And if every artist had that meeting, this would be impossible perspective, yeah. but from a human perspective, mm-hmm. it's like, 
I don't know, try to help, you know, like, it's not like you're trying to like extort the inner workings of Spotify. Like you're just an artist making music (laughs) that wants to make a living and like put your stuff out there for as many people to hear it. It's that simple. And have like security. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Which it's hard to get from Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we people. could talk about that, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I understand some artists didn't know some of the information he was telling me. So I'm sure it was just like a, a blanket sort of thing that they show everybody but like i had already researched all i was gonna this say stuff. you're like, probably found... super researched and know like what you're doing yeah yeah. yeah 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 it was a really cool experience though not to like i have only love for mm-hmm. spotify personally yeah. i know everybody has critiques and we've talked about that to death mm-hmm. but um <laughs> but yeah so starting with seeking blue and stuff was there anything that sort of surprised you or even as you guys were growing was there something that you were kind of mind blown about hmm. or anything that's a great question because I honestly feel surprised like every day. I think, <laughs> I think the one thing that I, it maybe isn't surprising necessarily, but the common thread that I see so often is just how much artists and creatives overthink hmm. and sort of like almost their own, they are their own worst enemy. Yeah. Um, which I for sure am. I'm sure you are, Brady. Like, and Chantal, I don't know if you make music. Do you make music? No, I don't. I, I've sang on a couple of like Brady's songs, but I'm not a singer. So. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I'm sure in your own right, like however you like to express yourself, like you're also your own worst art enemy. Yes. And it's like, I I was surprised about how often I, 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 I still see that where I'm like, your ideas are beautiful. Your music is beautiful everything you bring to the table as a creative is exceptional except you just want to like erase it because you're not satisfied and i think it's like the artist's sort of like achilles heel thing which is like that's where good music comes from is that mindset but it's so surprising to see just how many people really do completely break down in stress over the small things Um, I, i feel like that has a lot to do with like Um, the oversaturation like what you were talking about like there's just so much music out there and just art in general so you're constantly comparing yourself Mm. and I know we talk about this a lot in other episodes (laughs) and stuff but it it, I think I feel like that's where a lot of that comes from you know comparison is like the worst enemy of art it is Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) Yeah. absolutely yeah the minute you get into that all of a sudden I can't you know like even even like I was saying you know comparing my music to your music I want to make your songs (laughs) so the minute the minute I get into that mindset I can't actually create you know myself yeah, but yeah. uh it's or whatever terrible. you have created you're like i hate this yeah. because it doesn't sound like that no, and it's like, but no, it's beautiful yeah. for what it is exactly like, yeah. yeah it's yours yeah. and i think that's like it's so hard because it's it's extremely easy to say don't compare yourself but mm-hmm. in practice mm-hmm. it's pretty much impossible yeah um and i think it's healthy to some degree i think the, the solution to comparison is actually collaboration um, and putting yourself that's a great mindset a, I, yeah yeah I, I've seen it work honestly and I've seen artists really flourish when they get out of that like oh that person doesn't care about like they're just so much better like pedestal thoughts versus working with them and learning who they are and then sort of what comes out of that I think is beautiful for both people because there's a very good chance that artist a comparing themselves to artist b will get in a room and artist b will probably also compare themselves to artist a and it's like yeah that pedestal is so false 
and you and I think it's good to be a fan of something and good to appreciate something and then it's even better if you can work with it and learn from it too. Um Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think the thing that sort of got me out of that headspace of um you know a lot of self-doubt and stuff is first of all, you know, getting in the habit of actually finishing songs. Every song's going to sound like crap for the first 4 hours, right? Like <laughs> no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. Um and then also as soon as I realized sort of the tracks that maybe I wasn't super happy with, but put out anyways, mm-hmm. ended up being the my biggest, most successful tracks. And then it sort of clicked to me that, you know, not everybody has my brain, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's a really important thing to sort of come to realize, I think. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And also I've had the same situation. So, and <laughs> yeah, I feel like exactly. that's like you hear about like Kurt Cobain, like, he was the same way. Like all of the singles were songs that they didn't want to even keep on the album. And I think it's like, yeah, at some point you just have to let go, I think, and just let the world do what it will with your music ultimately. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I want to get into sort of you managing other artists. When did you, so do you manage three main artists? Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, this was it was it was really honestly just like an organic progression from the label where we would just work with so i manage echoes i manage manage yo mace uh and a, and a producer named hallweg um and it was like this organic situation of just working with these people so often and so much and so intimately that uh it was just like okay let's just do this for real um and that's been two years, I guess. Yeah, almost two years, which is pretty mind blowing to think about. Yeah, Nick sort of just vanished, but yeah, we started managing in um, in 2019 or 20 yeah 2019. What's that experience been like in comparison to like just running the label and having them on the label? Mm. Um, good question. I think fairly similar although i would say that artist management is in a positive way like more time consuming and i think that's like that sounds so like oh your your time's eaten up but i would say that it's more like all-encompassing like you're like becoming part of the project in many ways and it's like your project pretty much like i really feel like we did an album at the at the beginning of this year with with Yo that he'd been writing for a year, and I was like editing the videos and writing the concepts and like so much of the album felt like also my album, and it really felt oh, wow. like that. Like it's his album, it's his story. He wrote the music, yeah. you know, everything it is his. I don't want to take that credit from him, but I think he would also say to you that myself and the team was so involved every single day that it really did like start breathing new life into it and became like a different thing in many ways. Um, and so management is very like all encompassing, maybe time consuming was the wrong word. I think it's like, it just is a part of you more than the label. And I think I went to that level in the labels mindset a lot as well, uh, and still do, but management, it's like, you feel responsible for someone. It's like having a a sibling or a child in many ways it's it's a strange feeling it's yeah it's interesting uh i mean i've never spoken to like an artist manager but i i always thought that like they would just describe themselves as someone who like works for the band or 
whatnot. But it's really beautiful hearing you say that. Like, you know, you feel like you're now a part of it. It's refreshing. It is, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I feel like maybe some people would say that. Um, I just can't help myself in many ways. So, yeah, I guess it's a blessing and a curse. It's, It's been great. It's honestly like I'm it's been a process learning how to do both um efficiently i care a lot about like output and also taking boundaries and like not working um i think that's Mm -hmm. really important for anyone um and so yeah i think that process of just learning like the balance and how to pay attention to everyone equally and be valuable in all facets of life is like yeah, that's been the probably the hardest part about it. And other than that, it's just like really rewarding. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just really nice to hear. Um, one of my main critiques of, of you know, artist managers and, and labels and stuff um, has always been not even about royalties, not about payment, not about money, but um, the sense of community. Like nothing's worse when you're, um, not to throw anybody under the bus, but when you're <laughs> signed to a label or something and you come out with a release and you don't hear from anybody like nobody's saying congratulations like that's that's always been my main thing if you're gonna be signed or whatever just have this community and you know the sort of community that community that me and you were a part of Mm -hmm. way back Mm -hmm. i feel like we did that very well everybody was always stoked on everybody's release and and that's what i've sort of been searching for ever since then same man honestly that was like a life-changing experience like the city by night days um and i think Mm -hmm. it was like I was, I was thinking about this, this podcast earlier today and just like talking about stuff like that. And I think like music sets itself up for success when everyone involved in the project can answer every question about the project. Um, and the best releases that I've ever worked with, the most successful releases that I've ever worked with, um, and, and to, to measure success, I think it's like so subjective but like the, mm-hmm. the the widest reaching releases and the most fulfilling releases have always had that through line of the management, the label, the artist, the girlfriends and boyfriends and partners. Everyone cares so much about it, you know, mm-hmm. and whether they're speaking to Spotify or speaking to a booking agent or speaking to a magazine, they're like, this is me. I care. This is like everything I can do. And I think like there was definitely a period when running the label where it's like started to feel a little bit like, Oh, are we just putting stuff out to stay on schedule? And it was immediately like, not, not going to happen. Like there's no way that is what we're becoming. And we (laughs) cannot do that. Like, no. Um, and so it's been like really cool. Just like we have like discord groups usually with artists and their managers that we work with. And it's like a discussion all the time happening um, where it's like anything about most of the releases that we release, I can answer a question. And if I can't, someone on the team can, um, and we care about it. I'd say not never as much as the artist, the artist is always the number one, but as close to humanly possible, you know, and I think it's so valuable. Like, yeah, it it matters. It matters. Yeah. I've actually had people come up to me like who are starting labels and stuff and ask like before I was signed. Thankfully, yeah, by the way, I've, you know, signed to a label that I'm very happy with and they're doing everything great and they're passionate about my projects and stuff. But um, before that, they would be like, why aren't you signing to anybody? Like, 
what would make you sign to my label? And I was just like, all you have to do is like my music and, <laughs> and really it. care about it yeah. and prove to me that you care about it. Yeah. And that's the same with every artist. Like, that's exactly what you need. You just need a community yeah. just to be like, hey, I released this today. And everybody's like, oh, I'm so stoked. I'm going to share it around. I'm going to We're going to do everything we can to like, you yeah. know, make and you feel good about this release. Mm-hmm. But of yeah. course, with constructive criticism, right? Yes. Like nobody's opposed to that. Mm-hmm. Um but Congrats yeah, on the label that. stuff, by the way. I had no idea. That's amazing. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I agree. Community. It's like one of those things that that is like a word that's used a lot, especially in like tweets and stuff. And it's like it's so valuable. Like I think any mm-hmm. community, whether it's for your release or if you're starting a company or building a team or playing sports, like. It always comes down to if everyone's on the same page um, and cares about each other, it's like the ultimate form of humanity. You know, I feel like the earth needs more community ultimately, you know, like (laughs) please. And I think it's like, yeah, I mean, you can see it now even with like NFT and web three stuff growing. It's like such a community of people on Twitter and yeah, I think that's just that. That's how stuff progresses organically, and and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah speaking of, I mean, maybe we don't want to get into the NFT conversation. <laughs> I mean, you do. Much. I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> you love talking about that stuff. <laughs> it's cool. Like, it really is the future of, you know, royalties and and everything. To me, I feel like if somebody wants a special edition NFT, like even though you can still stream music, in my mind, I speak specifically about music instead of artwork and stuff because it's, you know, relevant to me. But, um, you know, anybody can go on Spotify and stream your track. But if you actually want to own this little piece, it's just going to be so great. It's like a little collector's piece instead of, you know, commissioning something that's physical and stuff. I don't know. It's It's just really cool. cool. And And then then every time time it sells, sells, the the artist actually actually gets a kickback instead of, not, not like, like when you sell, sell a record on discogs i don't see any of that which is yeah. fine <laughs> but <laughs> the whole nft thing, thing is just so cool and i'm excited to see where that heads in the next like five years yeah so i think it's huge. the future for sure i mean it's just one thing that i i love i love playing video games and i think like you can see it in in gaming where people buy like league of legends which is mm-hmm. one of the biggest games of all time is free and it's entirely funded by people paying for skins in game um and it's like that like digital identity in many ways whether visual or musical and ownership of like your identity and creating a combination of things you support is so important and i think it's like a creator that understands that and can utilize that for their project is ahead of the game in many ways and it's like it it removes the middleman in many ways it is flat more flexible than like a gatekeeper platform like patreon um mm-hmm. and it creates a way for your community to get involved i think more than they could in other ways exactly like i i think i read about this company recently I, i'm not going to be able to remember the name <laughs> of it but uh so they're, they're planning on being specifically music driven nfts mm-hmm. and they actually explained it in the way of like investing in shares so you could own uh, you know, one one hundredth share of, you know, my album for us alone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's so cool, especially before it's done or maybe it's the first single, like it'll actually 
um, uh, fund the album. Absolutely. You know, and stuff. Yeah. It's like getting an advance from a label and instead of them owning part of your royalties, your fans are owning part of your royalties. So it's pretty cool. Exactly. And the fans will actually get royalties. Like yeah. that's, that's huge. It's like owning stock of a company with dividends. Yeah. Like, literally. I think that's so cool. Like once people sort of understand that and get over, or at least once the issues are fixed of, you know, fee transaction and emissions mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all the negative sides, once that's, once that's fixed, it's going to be, I think, unstoppable. I agree. At this point. On the same page for sure. I fully agree with that. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how sick would it be like actually to, you know, Elenium or whatever, like to own, you know, uh, a piece of one of his albums, you know, and actually get royalties from that, I'd be like, I'm down. <laughs> yeah. like, I think most of his fans many... would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So everybody's bidding on it and it's just... It creates... It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's like enabled this... It, it gives like people a reason to have skin in the game for the first time ever. And like, it also... I love the idea of equalizing the platform of like, there's always like, a fan and then there's like ariana grande and she's like so far out of reach and is this like celebrity that you'll never be a part of and then it's like Mm -hmm. the nft space and i think anything that comes as a result of it equalizes that a little bit and you're like in on it you're like a board member of the projects you love and it's like when has that ever been a reality like that's (laughs) so cool whether it's like art or music like when yeah it's just it's 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 cool it's really cool yeah absolutely and i i sort of speak about it ignorantly because i because of the fee issues Mm -hmm. i haven't been able to to do any of it i just can't justify Mm -hmm. it yeah, it's just super cool. It's such a cool thing to just, it's so new and it's, well, it's not that new, but it's new to a lot of people. And it's just so fun going down that rabbit hole of what even is all this. Yeah, you know? it's like interesting from like a, from like a just total entry level perspective to like read an article about someone selling a picture of an ape for $60 million. <laughs> you're just like, what? Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like that little boy that's like eleven selling the little turtle thing, yeah, and yeah. they just have different color hats or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think that's one of the critiques of it is like it seems too simple. You know, yeah. like just change the hat of a turtle, like you're saying, yeah. and all of a sudden it's a whole different thing. And for some reason, it's worth more. But I guess that's all art ever has been. You know, a thousand if you really percent. Think about it. Yeah. Like. I think, you know, there's just a stigma about it. Once that goes away and people start really adopting it, you know, it'll, it'll explode. Mm-hmm. I think takes a bit, but it'll I happen. Can't wait. I mean, yeah. remember streaming, like, it was exactly. the same. Spot, <laughs> like now I think spot. And I don't, I know that you guys have spoken about this and probably in the last couple episodes and stuff, but I think platforms like Spotify have created like a middle class of musician that we were just talking about <laughs> yeah. this. In the yeah, car, yeah. Like it's yeah. like never existed before. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the 80s and 90s or even earlier, like there was the stars and then there was the people trying to be stars. And now there's people that are making ambient music and paying Mm -hmm. bills. And it's like, imagine that, that. like that is wild. And I think that's, it's, it's an amazing feature of streaming that streaming has just broken this mold of people that can become successful without becoming a star. Um, and I think NFTs is sort of just and NFTs being like the broader language of blockchain technology and 
user and fan ownership, um, mm-hmm. that's the next phase of sort of like a new cash injection to creators, which is great and Absolutely. is needed for the, you know, sanctity and emotional earth, you know, just like for people, people need that, I think. And if, and if art and music isn't funded, we lose so much as like a, as a species. And I think it's so important to just yeah. value those things and try them out before like sort of shutting them down. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, how do you market like ethereal experiences? Like, it's like, yeah. it's a double-edged sword for sure like it's like yeah i mean i that's definitely i think one of my like critiques of just streaming culture is that music has now become associated with an activity no matter what kind of music it's like music to run to to eat dinner to like music is becoming this background thing and i'm like no like you should be able to sit there put a vinyl on and like absorb it and like obsess over it and that music to listen to like like that's what we want and i think that's my critique of spotify but it's not their fault i think they're just doing what the what the people want ultimately um and so yeah it's but then also you know it puts ambient music on the table of way more people that would never know how to search for that before so it's sort of like this double-edged sword for sure Exactly. I always have to mention with this conversation to anybody who's listening, go buy your favorite artist record (laughs) on Bandcamp and then also stream Mm -hmm. it. Support them. (laughs) Absolutely. Speaking of music, though, what music do you find yourself listening to at the moment? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I figured you may ask that. Um, (laughs) I honestly, it's working in in the music industry and at a label is, I listen to so much music. Um, yeah. That I try almost not to listen to music, I think, where I've, I've, and this is probably just a me problem, but I find myself so analytical um, when listening to music for a passion purpose that I try not to because it's like my work brain, like, how, how could this be marketed? I wonder where this came from. What is the artist's intention here? What are they actually trying to say? Like, <laughs> and then it just goes and goes. And so I try to just be like, okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not consuming music right now. Um, but I think honestly, I've actually been going, and I know this is relevant to y'all too, but I've been like going back to like metal and stuff. Like, oh, like yeah. Lorna Shore EP is like oh, <laughs> yes. mind blowing. Um, and I, and I've just found myself like reaching for that nostalgia. And I think maybe that's like the world is so uncertain that we're like finding our comforts again. Um, 
and obviously all the favorites that you mentioned earlier, like Bon Iver, Cigarros, like anything Icelandic ever is good. Um, and I think it's like, <laughs> but yeah, honestly, a lot of metal, a lot of like old emo and like metal and death metal and doom and, you know, stuff like that. It's just like um, sort of what I default to, I guess, in these days. Yeah, I guess because of your job, it's probably hard for you to try and like naturally discover new music because like you said, your work brain turns on, whereas it's easier for you to return to your like comfort music and nostalgic stuff because then you're just, it's bringing you back then mm-hmm. and it's not making you think now about work. And Ex- that's, yeah, that's, that's so true. Yeah. Like it's like, it's, it's a good, I, I like it. You know, I like that, um, that my mind like has become, begun to work that way. Um, cause I think yeah. it's like, I immediately just want to understand a release. Um, and it's okay to not be like always a music fan all the time. I really appreciate people that can yeah. like, like there's some folks that on my team that are like always listening to music, like literally. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, I love you. Like, I wish I had that skill. Aww. Like it's, you know, artists need that. Um, but for me, I think it's, it's valuable to step back a bit and do other things and think about other things. Otherwise yeah. I feel just like my whole life is, is music from waking yeah. up to sleeping, which I'm sure teenager me would be like, but that's the dream. That's what you always wanted. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's valuable to have a contrast in life. And like, uh, you can't, you know, you can't see the darkness without the light. Like, it's like, I think yeah. for music to be impactful, it's good to not listen to it too. Sometimes that's like a, such a long answer for a short, simple question, but yeah. No, no, but no, I, yeah, I guess perfect. with your relationship with your job and stuff like that totally makes sense. And I guess it's kind of also a form of self-care <laughs> to yeah. take a step back and have that realization. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. You know, with you, with you getting back into metal and stuff too, which is just such a weird thing. I guess everybody's just getting back into <laughs> right? metal right now. Yeah. I, I mean, it is kind of metalcore's coming back and stuff and emo music. But, um, you know, it's probably nice to listen to music that'll never be released on Seeking Blue. Like, I don't think we're going to see a Norma Jean <laughs> yeah, record yeah, I on wish. Seeking Blue. Um, <laughs> I, I think, like, I honestly, yeah, and it's, I love stuff that I don't, like, I've always loved music that I don't fully understand how it's possible. Like, whether it's, like, yeah. the Cigarose and Yonzi and, and Alex stuff, like, or the, like, literal guttural scream at the end of to the hellfire and the Lorna shore. I'm just like, how is that a human being? And I love it. Like I'm obsessed (laughs) with like that surprise. And I think, yeah, there's part of like listening to electronic music where I can just understand it. And then it's like, ah, Mm. I I crave new experiences personally. So yeah, metal is, is always one that I'm just like, ah, man, wild. Like, the musicianship yeah. is yeah exceptional absolutely to give away when this podcast is getting recorded uh just as a you know recommendation uh knock loose just came out with their oh. new ep it's called uh a tear in the fabric of life amazing and they came out with like a 30 minute film with it too and it's unbelievable i had never listened to knock loose before but they're just pure energy like I've never He's heard got of blisters yeah. on his hands I, from trying to, to drum to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do have blisters on my hands for the first time in a long time yeah. learning Amazing. new songs. Dude, that's such a good experience yeah. to just get that inspired again. That's awesome. Yeah, for real. But uh, yeah, what's, what is your relationship to sort of slower, softer, ambient styled music? Like, do you listen to it often or? 
Hmm, that's a good question. I think there are moments when I'm like very into it. Um, and I listen to your stuff. I even like, I, I like to find stuff that I've never heard of before. Like Olafur Arnold's Niels from like a lot of like, mm. I guess, neoclassical stuff as well. Um, I, I definitely don't listen to it to sleep. Um, it's always very like intentional. Um, like I need to be like lost for a bit. Um, I actually just moved out of the city and live in like a small town now north of Vancouver and it's like on the ocean. Um, so I find it like nice. really adds to that experience. So I have been going back to a lot of, and honestly, like, um, sheepy, that's his, like, that's his favorite. He loves ambient music. He loves neoclassical. He's like the biggest Niels from fan. Oh, wow. And so when we were like together, we like really connect on that stuff. Um, and so we were like hanging out in the beginning of August, just like at a cabin out here, just like listening to like his ambient playlists. And he makes like these playlists just for friends. Like he always has. Um, and it's like very much like that scene. Uh, and I, I discover a lot of music through him still like on a personal level. And so that's like, I find it's like, I need to be in the right moment. Cause mm-hmm. I'm sort of like a high energy person who's like needs stimulus a lot but when i don't that's like what i lean on yeah that's amazing yeah amazing um yeah i guess to wind it down slowly (laughs) um (laughs) what, what are your other creative outlets what do you find yourself doing when uh you know you're not working and stuff hmm that's a good question um i am the type of person especially lately who obsessively uh, learns about something and like it becomes like my thing and hobby for a bit. And then I probably will never do it again. <laughs> um, and so like right now that's like making sourdough okay. uh, and, or like coffee. I'm literally obsessed with like coffee culture and brewing. we have like 10 brewing devices in our house and I'm like, <laughs> buying beans and talking to roasters on Instagram and like (laughs) things that are just like not, I guess, creative and in ways that you wouldn't expect. Um, and then I just love learning. Like I'm like, Oh, I'm going to learn how to design something in like 3d space right now. Oh, Mm. I'm going to make like an AR filter on Instagram, like (laughs) sort of just learning. I think learning is my creative outlet. Like I was like learning how to make a video game the other day and like unreal engine or motion capture or like just things like that, that I'm like, there's so much, I I don't want to die when I'm older and feel like I, I missed out ever. I definitely feel Um, that. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's And I think part of it is due to like our culture is so consumption heavy right now. Like we scroll and it's like, you can be in 50 places in a minute. Um, and it's like the constant dopamine serotonin addiction, I think, which is a, I'm sure going to blow wide open when we're, when we're older and say like, oh, we were like the guinea pigs of society. Uh, so I think it's definitely a byproduct of that, but I think it is still fulfilling to like bake a loaf of bread and eat it for breakfast. And you're like, wow, this I've been like feeding and naming my sourdough starter for like a month. And it's like, I don't know. It's cool. It's rewarding. So being creative and just like learning, I think is, is honestly like what I value the most. Absolutely. That's super That's awesome. cool. And yeah, I feel that too. Like I, I got into, you know, blender and, and 3d modeling and yeah. stuff recently. Amazing. Um, and it's just so you can fun. Make you NFTs, know. man. 
Yeah. Well, actually, so I wanted to get into this too. So I feel like you've always found really cool things online, right? Like I think <laughs> you're the one who showed me, uh, it was a YouTube channel. I couldn't find it for this, so I don't know the name of it, but literally all they posted was words and what they meant every day, like really interesting words. It's a mm. long time ago. Sounds like the dictionary of obscure sorrows potentially. That's actually it. <laughs> I, I couldn't actually find remember it. you showing me that too. Yeah. It's like you learned a word every day and they they and showed you what it meant and everything. It was so cool and then I was I was just scrolling through your, you know, feeds and everything and uh I found that you used an AI art generator thing. Yeah. Um, and that was so cool too. I was like, how do you find this stuff? <laughs> it's so much fun just to, it's inspiring just to click. And then all of a sudden you have a, a landscape that's also AI matched with all this other stuff. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Cause I've looked into that stuff doing it manually and it's, it goes over my head. I, I don't know how to code. I don't know how to do all that. But hundred oh, percent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like how do you even, do you just explore things and just whatever catches your eye? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question because I think everything <laughs> comes like, that was like a wild stutter right there. That was amazing. I think, um, <laughs> honestly, it, it goes to community and like having cool people around you that will uh, send you stuff. Uh, and I think it comes down to when, when you exist in that world and like you surround yourself on social media with people like that um, and your friends are like that then things just come and then you find things based on that and algorithms probably play a part to some degree. Um, sure. but I think, yeah, spending time in cool places with cool people will lead to cool things. And like the AI art was like, I think someone sent me a picture of me that was made with this AI Tokyo AI art thing. And I was like, what is that abomination? <laughs> like AI made it. And I was like, I need to know more. And then that just turned into like, Hey, what if I made a film frame by frame and then put every frame into this AI and then back and back and like, I don't know, just, just experimenting ultimately. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't <laughs> like, seriously, I, I don't know if you know, uh, the YouTube channel negative feedback. He's like a film photography guy. I don't know. Uh, he recently has been doing sort of AI generative portraits and oh, stuff, whoa. but he does it all himself and I don't, I don't get it, but it's really cool. He was doing like the sort of um, looped film. Like, it's just really cool. Um, what was I'll it called? Negative it exposure? Negative feedback. Negative feedback. So yeah. this is one of those situations. That's how to answer your question is like cool people <laughs> in a room will share cool stuff. For sure. Um, this has been amazing. Yeah. Is there anything uh, maybe that we miss? Anything you want to plug or anything? No plugs. No. I think um, for anyone listening, just as Brady mentioned earlier, support music uh, and creativity. I think in, in dark times and in light times, it will always uplift us as like a society and a species. Um, and I think, yeah. It's been amazing speaking to you guys. You know, it's been literally years. Um, yeah. And it's been, yeah, it's rewarding. And thank you so much for for wanting to speak to me. I feel very honored. So I appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, these are some of these questions, like how you got, you know, introduced to Sheepy and stuff are questions I've wanted to ask for so long. But like asking you to video chat seems almost inappropriate when it's not for a purpose. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, nah, nah. that's the way I am. Like you have to be... Uh, <laughs> 
you have to be working towards something to even have a conversation with friends now. Um, Definitely not. Like I ask (laughs) anytime and I'll do the same. Like, but I feel like honestly too, maybe one other thing to mention is just, I feel like a lot of people listening will be fans of you and um, are maybe musicians and creatives as well. And I think it's like really important to mention that um, just believe in yourself and don't worry that you just have to stick to things. And if you want to create and you want to make it a career, you can. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think the word gatekeeper was mentioned many minutes ago. That doesn't exist. I think um, everyone's a person. And while it seems like there's walls against you sometimes in life, I think it's like, just jump over them and you'll find a way and ambient music can make it and on vinyl in someone's living room and change their life. Like Mm -hmm. I think it's just so important to stay inspired and stay in a community. So I think like for, for those fans and those music people looking at me, who's like a record label person, it's like (laughs) the things we care about when we sign an, an, an artist is an artist who cares about their project and we enjoy it. And if we don't enjoy it, that has no, that doesn't affect you, right? Like your music is your music. Um, and so, yeah, just stay true to yourself and like always be creating. I think that's the only thing I can offer to any listeners that are maybe like, well, what do, how do I get on a label or how do I make a career out of this? Right? Like staying genuine is so valuable. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Just, keep going Mm -hmm. like i always say if you're doing something for 10 years and putting in all the effort into it it's gonna work Mm -hmm. yeah no matter what it is Mm -hmm. i don't like seriously push away your your like feelings of intimidation you know (laughs) yeah and insecurities and stuff just go for it surround yourself with good people Mm -hmm. yeah you know good community find a community for sure like (laughs) absolutely and then do a podcast with them eight years later so (laughs) (laughs) literally (laughs) but absolutely yeah thank you again man and happy holidays at everybody yeah hope you have a happy new year almost right like it's the 27th or something yeah 27th of december 2021 yeah absolutely but uh yeah thank you everybody for listening and uh we'll chat soon yeah thank you lucas we'll have to have you on again soon. thanks too. y'all yeah it'd be amazing <laughs> let me know if you yeah. need anything or want to do anything in the future and it was great catching up <laughs>